Hello, everyone, and welcome along to today's episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you are tuning into today's podcast from. And on today's podcast, we welcome Mr. Paul Woodward. Paul is the chairman of Paul Woodward Advisory. Paul, thanks very much for joining the podcast today. Thank you very much. Um, before we head into the subject matter of, uh, of today's podcast and why you're here specifically to talk to us, um, just give our listeners and our followers a little bit of background into your own professional life within the events industry. Absolutely. I, uh, as those of you who might be watching this on the website, might be able to tell from my beard, I've been involved in the exhibition industry for more than 35 years now, I think, or exhibitions and events, conferences. Uh, spent 25 years of my career based in Hong Kong doing business in Asia uh, and most recently based in Paris as the managing director of UFI, the Global Exhibition Industry Association. Excellent. And um, the reason that Paul is on uh, the podcast today is to discuss uh, a piece that he wrote and was posted on LinkedIn. Um, and the title of the piece was Too Big to Succeed. I would urge anybody to, to, to hop over there and perhaps pause the podcast as you're listening to it and perhaps read through Paul's article first of all. We will put a link on Event Industry News um, alongside this particular podcast so that people can access that and have a read through it. Um, and I think this would be a really opportune moment at this point to reference that and direct people over to it because I suppose the, the, the crux of the piece, Paul, is something that a lot of people may, may feel um, that they share a similar sort of uh, opinion as the one that you expressed in the article. Did, give us a bit of a summary about what it is that you wrote on LinkedIn within that piece. Right. It, it has certainly uh, generated more discussion and interest than anything I've written for quite a while. Clearly touched a nerve and basically... You know, I think a lot of people in the industry were quite shocked and surprised during the course of last year to read news about some of the biggest fairs in the, in the global trade fair world, mm -hmm. uh, either closing or really suffering some sort of major problems. I mean, the big shock news, it made front page news all over Germany, obviously, was the... Uh, was the announcement that CBIT would no longer take place and has sort of fallen from a position where 10, 12 years ago, they were getting a million visitors a year coming to the fair to a position now where they've had to sort of close the doors. We've seen Basel World, which was the world's biggest watch fair, still is probably the world's biggest watch fair, but have a over a two years period, something like a 50% reduction in exhibitors and a a real sort of public spat with the uh, CEO of Swatch, which is the world's biggest watch company, lots of luxury brands as well as the cheap plastic ones, um, with, with the organizers of Basel World in, in Switzerland, which actually led to the CEO of the, uh, the company that owns Basel World having to resign. Uh, we saw Interbike, which used to be the world's biggest bicycle show in the US closing down. Now, on, at the same time, you know, an awful lot of the big trade fair companies around the world are in really good health, reporting great profits, and, um, you know, we're seeing mergers across the board, we're seeing private equity companies paying eye-watering numbers for exhibition companies. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, some real sort of cracks in the edifice appearing, and, and so the, I, I was really trying to get under the skin a little bit of what was going on, and whether we were, just as an industry, being too complacent about the idea that these shows were so important that people would always have to come, come what may, what, what was going on there, basically. 
There are a number of, of, of discussion points that I suppose open themselves up as a result of this piece. And certainly when I read it uh, prior to, to recording today's episode of the podcast, um, there were several things that I jotted down. Um, one in particular, uh, and I suppose where we, where we can start from, um, relates to uh, the presence of what you could term big brands within these significant sized trade events. Um, in any given industry and trade sector that is serviced by trade exhibitions you will have major players medium-sized players and smaller players and the medium and the smaller sized companies who would go to exhibit at those shows are often uh influenced by the major brands being part of it and any exhibition organizer worth his salt will have faced the situation where the medium size and the smaller size say, well, who's exhibiting? Who's going to be there? And if they can reel off the major names, then they know they've got a good shot of bringing in the smaller and the medium sized guys because they will want to feed off the attraction that's being brought by the major guys. I noticed that a lot of these shows have suffered or some of these shows have suffered because major brands have pulled out and no longer see the value perhaps in exhibiting there, which perhaps leads to the smaller and the medium sized guys also pulling out. Is that a trend? Is that a fair trend? And is that something that um, is relevant to this particular discussion? Yeah, it is. And it's not, it's not across the board. I mean, you know, we still have a number. I mean, look at the sort of huge success of CES in Las Vegas again. I mean, they appear still to be engaging with the big brands in a way that the brands find useful and presenting them with an audience in Las Vegas there, which they find useful. So this is this is not um, me standing on the top of a mountain sort of saying we're all doomed, we're all doomed. I mean, we clearly aren't. But in some of these big shows, you're absolutely right. When the big brands start looking and saying, maybe this isn't the way that we, uh, that, 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 that we feel we can most effectively spend our, our event marketing dollars. Um, and if, if they then go as far as to pull out, you're right, really the wheels fall off the bus fairly quickly at that point. And uh, a lot of the other companies will start questioning whether they should really uh, be there, whether the crowds are going to come if the big brands aren't there. If you're lucky enough to be organizing an event where the vast majority of the exhibitors are small, medium-sized companies in a particular industry, much less, much less of an issue because the traditional trade fair is probably still really powerful and really useful for those smaller companies but a lot of question marks being asked by the bigger brands i think in many cases the um, uh, um uh, have been a bit slow shall we say in in trying to find ways to match the quality of data that is offered through digital marketing services to B2B marketers. And basically most B2B marketers now are either spending money in the digital marketing world or in events. Yes. Uh, and when, when I say events, that's all manner of events. That's everything from traditional trade shows through their own co single company events to sponsorship of events like the Web Summit, South by Southwest, these sorts of events, which is, have emerged over the last few years as a what's regarded as a very attractive way of companies being uh, or uh, 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 getting to audiences through sponsorship and other ways, slightly less traditional ways of engaging with their audiences. So um, I think the other, another thing I would say here is I'm, I'm extremely bullish and very upbeat about the um, future of business events and events as being a critical component of the marketing world. I'm just slightly less bullish and upbeat about the necessary 
likelihood that the those events will always be the events that are there today mm. um, and will necessarily be particularly trade fairs that look pretty much like the ones we may have gone to with our granddads sort of uh, you know when we were kids and I, I did used to go to exhibitions with my granddad when I was when I was a kid and they look to be honest remarkably similar today in many ways yeah I think that's a fair point. You could stand, you know, in the rafters of any given exhibition hall, look down on a show floor populated by a uh, a mesh of shell scheme, and it could be any number of different trade sectors or industries that that show is serving, but you wouldn't know. It would just look exactly like the, the, the next one that's come along. Um, one thing that you, you mentioned and alluded to is is the idea of these these different types of events and other strands of marketing that are available now to businesses, whereby 20, 25 years ago, the trade fair in its traditional sense represented the key moment of the year where they could unveil new products, where they could meet people face to face, where they could make a big show of what it is that they're doing as an organization. The reality of, of, of living in and operating in 2019 is that businesses and brands have so many different routes and ways in which they can now connect to their customers, which makes the behemoth trade fair not necessarily obsolete, but less relevant than it would have been in terms of connecting with your audience. Um, and certainly these smaller events that, I've, that have cropped up, when we talk about brand activation, companies themselves are populating and putting on their own events now without the need to go to a third party organizer and and that's clearly something that's playing a part in this as well that's clearly one of the things there's no doubt about that i mean i think there's a number of important elements that you have to unpick there in in, in what's going on um uh, it, it seems to me that in most industries most people would agree that there is a place for one or two massive events each year where the industry comes together and everybody is there. Mm -hmm. That still works quite well and that explains why you do get still a monster trade fair for a particular industry, perhaps one in the States in Las Vegas, one in Europe, probably in Germany, and one in Asia, probably in Shanghai. Um, what we then seem is really sort of the middle has, has, has hollowed out almost. Uh, because all of the digital marketing tools and other marketing tools that everybody has to hand these days allow them then to say, actually, I don't really care if there are 300,000 people walking through the door of this event. That's not really relevant to me. For my own particular business, there may be 500, it may be 5,000, whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. But there is a, there, there's, there's a much tighter group of people that I want to see and to speak to. And what I want to know is that those 500 people or those 5,000 people, whatever it may be, were here and that I have an opportunity to interact with those people. And maybe the big grand event is the place to be for that, but possibly it's not. So we've got the, big, the biggest events in the industry and if they're imaginatively managed and people still feel it's a good place to see everybody in the industry, they're still succeeding. And then we seem to drop down to much more focused sort of events. And again, not for every industry, but for many, many industries where people are quite happy to be at a relatively smaller event, but where they know that every single person walking through the door of that event is technically a or, you know, practically a relevant person to their business. Uh, this explains you know, the success of 10 years. And that was at the sort of the core of their business model when they, when they started up. 
uh, and they've moved slightly away from the one-size-fits-all small fairs. But even so, they're doing many, many smaller focused events, which allow you to get a, 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 a very targeted audience in a reasonably cost-effective manner. Sure. Um, so that's another, so with the trade, that, that's much less attractive to the big trade show organizers because it's a much less profitable model. I mean, the very big trade show is, a, is an extremely profitable model and obviously therefore very appealing to the organizers, whether they're commercial companies like Reed Exhibitions, UBM, Informer, ITE, Tarsus, or whatever the companies we're talking about, or in the US, for example, to one of the big trade associations that organizes those events and sure. pays essentially all of its annual running costs off the success of its once a year show. Um, but the smaller ones often can work better for people. The, 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 the own company events tend only to work well if you really are a major, major player in the industry. I mean, you frankly have to be quite sexy and attractive as a company to pull that off. You've got to be an Apple or a BMW or you know, the biggest player in your industry that everybody wants to be there and interacting with. If you're a mid-sized player or even number 10 in a, you know, in, a, in a market of 40, you're probably less likely really to be able to populate your event with the A-list that you really want to be there. Mm. You know, not everybody can have a waiting list of 50,000 people that Apple do for their events and be able to sort of pick and choose whoever goes to that. I mean, that that's the dream for the big corporates, but by and large, that's not going to happen. So I don't think everybody will drift away to do their own events, but I think the point you made earlier about there being a much wider range of types of events that, that companies like to support now. So if you're a traditional event organizer, you have some big challenges. If you're a company like Freeman or GES or one of the big GL events, one of these companies that supplies the industry, you're probably going to be fine any which way. Mm. If you're a reasonably modern venue that can flexibly meet the needs of various different types of events, you're going to be fine as well. Mm. Um, yeah. but if you're happily banking big profits from traditional events with the hope that you're going to sell out to a private equity company at a multiple of 14, like a few other deals that have happened relatively recently, uh, but not thinking about really delighting your audience both the exhibitors and the visitors then you know you may well have some challenges in a few years time and I think there's been some quite interesting research out there over the last year or so suggesting that as an industry the traditional exhibition trade fair industry is not doing terribly well in delighting its audience shall we say. Well of course when it comes to the subject of delighting its audience it brings us over to the other facet of the of the whole um situation if you will um and that is we've talked about the exhibitors the companies who actually pay you know for the space uh, and, the, and the the opportunity to profile themselves there we've talked about the organizers but an important aspect of this whole thing is the actual delegates that the visitors the people who walk yeah. through the door who in years gone by would have done so in order to research and find new products that are relevant to their own businesses um, or to their own personal tastes if it's a consumer show and of course now we have to accept the fact that consumers no longer need it to walk into gigantic fairs like that in order to find what they're looking for they can pick a phone out of their pocket now and do that in 10 seconds so when we talk about making it a delightful experience for them if you offer the opportunity to slog two or three days around a gigantic german trade fair or sit in your office on the laptop and find exactly what you need in half an hour 
it, it, it's a tough one for them to weigh up now, isn't it, as a consumer? Well, y- yes and no, because I think, to be honest with you, we went through that loop sort of 20 years ago when the internet first became available and, and a lot of sort of information and directories went online. And, the, you know, events that didn't adapt to that died at that stage. And we saw events like Comdex in the States famously disappear relatively quickly because exactly as you say the you know the the sort of the the raison d'etre of Comdex in the old days was this was the point at which all the tech companies rolled out and announced their next big thing Bill Gates would go on the stage and talk about the latest version Windows 3.0 or something exciting like that Um, and and, and clearly the need to do that simply disappeared I mean if you showed up at an industry event now not knowing what was going on and who was doing what you would be considered to be out of touch so it's not really why people come to events even the big traditional shows they want to go and maybe see the stuff they've read about they want to go and meet the people at companies there's also nervousness 20 years ago that the the you know, events would die out that they would all be replaced by virtual experiences and that clearly hasn't happened uh that's partly because all the efforts at virtual events have either been boring or peculiar as far as i'm concerned but the um <laughs> Um, the the but uh, but equally there's clearly a strong desire and it's not just sort of the older guys like me I mean this is quite clearly from sort of new graduates upwards people like events they like coming together they like the whole variety of the slightly hard to put your finger on things that go on at events um, but they don't. But as you imply, that doesn't necessarily mean slogging up and down massive, great big hangar-like halls looking at exactly the same thing. It might do. I mean, if there's machinery and your job is going to be going to decide which between ten different machines your company is going to go and buy, and before you make that decision, you actually want to look at all ten of those machines, then um, then a trade fair probably suits you very well. Sure. Um, and you know that. So I think people. One thing increasingly we'll be seeing is the imaginative organizers finding ways to make the whole process a bit less random. Mm. Um, you know, and whether it's through imaginative matchmaking services where you as an exhibitor can reach out to people who are coming to the fair and sort of I try and identify people you think are going to be seriously interested. And equally, as a, as a visitor to the fair, where you can reach out to a group of, uh, of, of people who've got product that you're genuinely interested in. And so sort of eliminate that, wander up to a stand and say, oh, no, well, they're all a bit busy over there. Maybe I won't go and talk to them. Um, or the chance that, you know, you're, you're around a bit of a dark corner and that I'm there and I never actually get to where your booth is and never actually see you. So the sort of the very random nature of what traditionally has happened at trade fairs, I think, sure. it will... will almost certainly have to be less and it won't necessarily be hosted by our programs that work in those work in some contexts but in many they don't um equally i mean one of the great things that goes on at trade fairs is actually sort of the random happenstance of walking around a corner and thinking wow i never knew that company was there i never knew they did that so you know we should avoid as well i think sort of eliminating the possibility of that happening and overstructuring the process so that you never have the you know so that it's so that you do get those chances a bit like the difference between an amazon recommendation and walking into a bookshop and seeing something that you'd never have dreamt of looking at in the past which because mm. you never dreamt of looking at the past amazon's never going to recommend to you um so we need to maintain that element of of, of surprise and chance but equally 
structure things in a more in, in intelligent way, which also just feeds back yet again into basically providing the participants in these events with much better data sure. uh, about who's there, what they're doing, what they want, what they did when they're there at the show. You know, traditionally the event organizers knew when somebody showed up at an event, um, they knew that they'd registered, they knew who they were, but once you walked into the door of the exhibition hall, it was a complete black box. We had no idea what was going on in there. Uh, and the salesman for the shows would walk around basically clapping somebody on the shoulder and saying, brilliant, wasn't it? We had 5,000 more people this year, and that was about all they could tell them, really. Well, well uh, the, 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 uh, at that point, I, I, I'd like to raise the, 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 the sort of, not the issue, but the subject of, of statistics, because yep. it was about, footfall it was about how many people came through the door we had 350,000 people through the door um yep. and yet and yet i spoke to uh, a company just just a few months ago at a trade uh, trade exhibition um in london relatively relatively small by comparison um who said that actually going to trade exhibitions and, uh, and things like that nowadays for them they actually didn't care how many people came through the door. Not they would actually like a quieter show floor than a busy yeah. show floor because their attitude now is in some of the really, really, really busy shows, they don't get enough time to speak to the people who are coming to see them. Yeah. They don't feel like they've offered a, de more, a detailed enough explanation of what they offer as a service or as a product. And they would actually speak to fewer people in more detail. So it's not about yeah. the numbers anymore. No. And I mean, it, traditionally, if an exhibition organizer has said to you, oh, well, the numbers were, you know, numbers were, were, were a little down, but the quality was fantastic. We usually, that was usually an excuse for a lousy show. Mm. But uh, where, and, and, you know, we would all say if the numbers are down, then the show is not great. But really this sort of scatterblast approach of saying, well, you know, if we have 50,000 this year, then 60,000 next year, people are increasingly looking at targeted ways of um, finding the right people. Mm. So that goes back to what I was saying about maybe smaller, more focused events where rather than 50,000 people, some of whom are relevant to your business, most of whom are not, um, are coming through the door. Maybe a show where 5,000 people come through the door, but they're all relevant to your business is more, more useful. Mm. And as you say, if your stand is overcrowded, I mean, the, the organizers love the look of that. They rush the photographers around. They say, take pictures, take pictures. Look at all the people. That's absolutely marvelous, isn't it? And it may be because there's a Ferrari on the stand or because they're giving away free booze or who knows what it is. But, you know, there may be no real business going on there. Uh, but it might also mean if it's really that crowded, if I'm really the most important potential customer, I came and I was thinking I would really like to spend a large chunk of money on this area. You know, my company sent me here or it's my company and I want to spend money on X and I walk up to your booth and there's already 30 people on there. Every single one of your sales staff is, is, is busy. I'll probably walk away, you know, so that's not so ideal. So you're right. I mean, in, in intelligently coming up with the right quality audience has got to be the secret. And that loops back nicely then into the whole concept that the, the most important asset of event organizing companies is the data that they collect and data that they develop. Yes. And, you know, already we have an awful lot of tools in hand that mean it's a lot more than the old name and address, job title, 
you know, purchasing power sort of thing, which which sort of emerged out of the old business to business magazine bingo cards. Basically, you had to fill yeah. in order, in order to get your magazine for free. Uh, and you know, and that that until relatively recently, that was pretty. Everybody said, "Oh, we have marvelous database. We've got a million people in the database," but it wasn't much qualitative information in there about what they were doing. Increasingly, the more imaginative organisers recognise that that that's really the that's really the next sort of step on the ladder and that that puts them into a whole new and interesting area and if as event organizers they don't do it and they simply look at ways of maximizing their profits so they can sell out for an even better multiple to a private equity company i think you know there is still the chance that we will see digital media digital marketing companies who do have that data and understand the value of that data beginning to parlay that into events because a number of those digital marketing companies say, say to me you know I've got clients who say you do brilliant stuff for us online can we get together once a year because we'd actually just like to see each other's faces and you know do all of those things that yeah. we were talking about earlier um, so you know I suspect the competition the most the scariest competition will probably not come from among the people you see in the room at an exhibition industry association event now it will come from companies who they don't think of as their competitors at the moment but know how to use that data know how to deliver those audiences and because they're looking at that data intelligently know what those audiences really want and are really interested in so you know there's no doubt in my mind at all that business events have a fantastic future it's just that we may find almost certainly will find within five to ten years quite a different mix of companies organizing those events sure and and interestingly for me um having had a chance to read through your article and and and, and drawing on on other experiences um i've seen in the last year um a handful of companies um come uh become more prominent within the exhibition uh, arena in the event space who offer tracking of movement tracking of people within any given indoor space so heat mapping the ability to see how long people dwelled in a certain area of a, a, of an exhibition hall for example um and and i'm curious to maybe just ask you what, what your own experiences of that and how much of that type of technology you've seen and how um, organizers can really sort of start using that to your advantage because when we're talking about qualitative data and being able to really look at data in a way that you can actually manipulate it and use it to your advantage properly and um, being able to see where people are traversing within your area is going to be massive isn't it in being able to manipulate floor plans yeah it, it, it is. And I mean, there are all sorts of interesting things that organizers can do with those, that kind of data and those kind of insights. I actually think the really exciting development happens at the next level down from that even really, which is finding ways which, of course, are acceptable to participants in terms of their privacy and exchange of data and everything else, but which really at a much more granular level focus on what they're doing on individual booths. And I think the sort of the smart badge, the things that companies like Pokken and Conduco are doing where you can actually, I mean, you eliminate the need for somebody to collect you, you know, and then you know, not just that, um, 100 people came past my booth today but you know exactly who those 100 people were yeah. and if you maybe have set up two or three different readers on your booth you can actually say okay well most of them were actually interested in this part of my product range so next time we do this show we should pump that up or this is the area that's of real interest in the industry at the moment we should be focusing our marketing effort into those areas so you can start to begin to get real 
sort of granular information, I mean roughly equivalent in some ways to the sort of stuff you can get from your digital marketing campaigns that say, boy, everybody's clicking through on X, and that really tells me that X is what's interesting at the moment. I mean, it raises all sorts of other interesting possibilities. I mean, if you start to have areas where you can measure exactly how visitors are interacting with your booth, you can get almost into a sort of a click per, you know, pay per click um, pricing model for events, basically, where you say you don't pay us anything for your booth until people start clicking through on your, um, you know, and you've got people there to take the conversation on and keep it going. So it's not a, an entirely sort of robotic, automatic activity, but uh, sort of having real sense of what's going on on the show floor, giving your exhibitors opportunities to quickly and automatically almost sort of gather the information of who's there because an awful lot of exhibitor money is wasted at trade fairs i mean they may come to the organizers and say this was a rubbish show it was terrible we didn't do any business there yes. but very frequently that's because they haven't really set the booths up well they maybe collect information and then they forget to follow up on them or everybody gets back to the office after the show and they're so busy with all the stuff they missed last week when they're at the show they never quite get around to putting the data into system and following up i mean we, we've all had this experience you know i mean absolutely you know and you you go to a show and you're genuinely interested in a particular type of product and you talk to four or five companies i'm sure you've had this i certainly have you know for personal issues business issues you talk to four or five companies if two of them actually follow up with you and say it was nice to see you at the show you know with an email or a call or whatever it was great to see you at the show can we provide you with more information are you actually in the market for buying now i mean i've never had better than two out of say five companies well, actually follow up at all and it's interesting you say that and, and, and the, the the challenge i suppose that you could and the gauntlet that of, of, of laying down pay per click when you use these sort of touch point services would be fascinating to see whether or not an organizer actually takes the plunge and has the I suppose the guts and the backing to be able to go in and do that because one thing that i think personally that, that would drive is the attitude towards how an exhibitor then does exactly what you were talking about which is following up on the data that they collect yeah. and actually using it appropriately and doing something meaningful with it because yeah. you're right too many exhibitors spend the money whinge to the organizer that they didn't get much from it but when they actually look at their own efforts and what they did to maximize it there they would need to be answering a lot of questions a pay-per-click model that i know it's a, a one singular scenario but if they're having to pay out based on how many uh, touchpoint interactions that they've had um, I think ultimately what that would do is drive them to actually utilize and make more of those those clicks uh, and the information that they're given because they've had to pay out money for it yeah there have been a few experiments with it in China it hasn't I mean to be honest it hasn't the, the thing is not fully worked thought through or worked through yet and it certainly hasn't become a sustainable business model there but it has people it has has been tried on one or two occasions and frankly it will scare the pants off a lot of event organizers who yeah, sort of see the potential for organizing an event paying the venue and actually not getting paid because genuinely they aren't delivering the right audience to their participants so it's quite a scary prospect for people in the industry but uh, and I, I I'm sure it won't fit with every business and every type of industry and every type of fair, but it's a very, very interesting prospect. And I, I do, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see in some sectors ways of that, uh, you know, the, the, some variation on that beginning to emerge. So lo lots of exciting developments, I think.
Absolutely. Uh, on today's podcast, we've been talking to Paul Woodward. Paul is the chairman of Paul Woodward Advisory, but a man with significant experience within the exhibition industry. Um, and particularly, we've been talking about uh, an article that he posted on LinkedIn that was entitled Too Big to Succeed. As I said at the start of the episode, we will post a link to that, uh, to that uh, piece on LinkedIn. It will only take you a few minutes to read through it. But what it is, it's one of these great conversation starters. Um, I'm sure it will prompt a lot of interest well it's already prompted a lot of interest as Paul alluded to at the start of the episode but I'm sure that as a result of today's podcast more people will go over there and read that and form their own opinions and have things that they would like to perhaps say and if you do have something to say as a result of that please do get in touch with Event Industry News but similarly Paul if somebody wants to get in touch with you directly as a result of that LinkedIn article um, how could they go about getting, getting hold of you? By all means, well, they can, they'll, they'll find me through LinkedIn if they find the article. They can also check my website, which is paulwoodward.com, and they can drop me an email at pw at paulwoodward.com. So very happy to hear from anybody who's interested to discuss it more. Fantastic. And perhaps it's something that, that we, we can keep our eye on and maybe check in with you again, um, you know, on a regular basis. I, I'm sure this is, this is something that will continue to develop and evolve. The industry is constantly moving and looking for new ideas. And um, I'm sure it's a subject that will continue to be discussed for many, many months and many, many years. And, uh, and one that we would certainly like to speak to you about again on a future episode of the podcast. But for now, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Thank you very much. Um, if you've been watching the video version of today's podcast on eventindustrynews.com, head over to your favorite podcast platform. You can download all of the uh, previous episodes of the podcast as audio versions to listen to on your commute to and from work or whenever you've got your headphones uh, available to you. Alternatively, if you're listening to today's podcast and you would like to head over to watch the video versions of them, go to eventindustrynews.com and you can also check out some of the special features and the latest news that's being posted up on there on the website but for now that brings us to the end of today's episode my name's james dixon and i'll see you on the next episode of the podcast thanks very much and goodbye